Among our visitors, we have Bob Cineros visiting with us over here to my left. This is Mary's uh, brother-in-law, and he attended a number for years of congregations south of us, Center Point and Mount Olive, <clears throat> one other one also that I cannot bring to remembrance, but it's a joy to have him with us this morning along with others who are visiting with us. We have been engaged in a series of lessons on the purposes of preaching. We're starting another series this morning. Interrupting that, we'll return back to it and finish it in a, another one or two more lessons. But this will be a series on questions from God. And we'll start with the first one and move down through the Old and New Testament and reflect on questions that God asked. The very word eternity echoes in the mind. The mind of man shudders under the weight of the singularity of this thought. It wraps the mind in unutterable awe. The word eternity traverses the thinking part of man's being, leaving in its wake an endless trail of silence. Words lie helpless in their desire and attempt to draw verbal pictures of its reality. Eternity defies the mind. It holds it hostage with no conditions for its release. Its secrets are its own. Man knocks on its door with questions that will never be answered. The space of eternity is filled with its own essence. It is void of human thresholds. With regard to man, it belongs to itself. It dwells in solitariness. It is only God, the high and lofty one, that inhabiteth eternity, Isaiah 57, 15. God carved time out of eternity as a temporary parenthesis for man and material things and designated it as the beginning, Genesis 1.1. Man and matter are possessions of time and both have a vaporous existence, James 4.14, and are destined for extinction. 2 Peter 3, verse 10. The source of Adam's physical frame was the dust of the ground, Genesis 2, 7. And Eve's was one of his ribs, Genesis 2, 21. Since God is a spirit, John 4, 24, it was man's spirit that was made in the image and likeness of God, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. The minds of the first human pair were as pure as God. Their brows were free of the furrows of shame, 
and their countenances gleamed with unfettered joy. They greeted the dawn of each day in a state of consummate innocence. One act of sin ruined everything. And upon hearing, quote, the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Genesis 3, 8. Adam and Eve scurried to hide among the trees of the garden. God's first question to Adam was indescribably potent. Where art thou? Genesis 3, 9. God's questions are not designed to elicit information. God is omnipresent. He knows all that is knowable. He knows every thought of every man. He said to Israel of old, I know the things that come into your mind. Every one of them. Ezekiel 11.5 He knows the weight of the mountains and hills. Isaiah 40, verse 12. He knows when every bird succumbs to death. Matthew 10, verse 29. And he knows the number of the hairs on every head. Matthew 10, 30. The basic intent of divine inquiries is to prompt man to think right about God, about himself, and all related matters. To engage in personal scrutiny and reflection of one's life and conduct before God. Adam needed to know why he was where he was. Is it not of eternal value for a man to know where and why he is at all times of his life? Noah needed to know why he was drunk, naked, and exposed in his tent. Genesis 9, 21. The first generation from Egypt needed to know why they were wandering in the wilderness instead of enjoying rest, peace, and the material light, delights of the land of Canaan. They possessed head knowledge as to why. Number 14, 26 to 39. But not heart perception as is illustrated by their immediate going up to the mountain to engage in the first battle that Moses had warned them against doing. Number 40, 14, 40 to 45. And latter conduct, number 16, when they tried to take over Moses' authority and Aaron's priesthood. Saul was informed of God's indictment of his usurpation of priestly functions, 1 Samuel 13, 8, 14. But for almost the whole of his reign, he refused to allow God's rejection of his rule over Israel to promote personal analysis of his heart before God. And he paid for his failure with the loss of his life and soul, 1 Samuel 31. If David had slowed down in his lustful pursuit of Bathsheba long enough to inquire of himself 
Where am I in my relationship with God and what am I doing? He would likely never have inquired after the woman. 2 Samuel 11, verse 3. At the commencement of his rule, Solomon confessed to God, I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or to come in. 1 Kings 3, 7. If Solomon had maintained this humble disposition of heart, continually buttressed by personal inspection and querying of himself, where am I in my walk with God? He would likely have never constructed a harem with 999 too many wives and concubines. Ezekiel described a righteous son who pondered the sins of his wicked father. He thought about them. He reflected upon them. And he refused to walk in his father's footsteps. Ezekiel 18, 14, 17. If Israel had mused upon the sins of the heathens, they would in all probability never have uttered those deadly sentiments. We will have a king over us that we may be like the nations. 1 Samuel 8, 19 and 20. Perpetual, solemn deliberation of one state in the sight of God's omnipresent eye would likely have saved Israel from Assyrian captivity, 2 Kings 17, 23. Judah from Babylonian chains, 2 Kings 25, 4. The elders of Judah from idols in their hearts, Ezekiel 14, 3. Jonah from the belly of the fish, Jonah 1, 17. Peter from the devil's fire, Luke 22, 54 to 55. Ananias and Sapphira from lying to the Holy Spirit, Acts 5, 3. And many in the church from apostasy, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. When Adam answered God's initial question by pointing to his nude state, fear upon hearing God's voice and attempt to conceal himself among the trees of the garden. God raised two additional questions. Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Whereof I commanded thee thou shouldest not eat? Genesis 3.11 Every question that God has ever asked from where art thou of Genesis 3.9 to thee, wherefore didst thou marvel of Revelation 17, 7, always gets to the heart of the issue and the need of man. Adam needed to understand how he had moved from the world of God, perfection, man, and innocence of Genesis 1 and 2 to the indescribable tragedy of Genesis 3, 6. This was the greatest catastrophe of the ages from time's beginning to its inevitable end. And this journey consisted of one step. Could there have possibly been a single day in Adam's lengthy life, 930 years, when he was able to sever himself from the disastrous implications of the three questions God asked of him.
Were there not innumerable exquisite sunrises that were ruined as his first conscious moment attached themselves to these three momentous inquiries that God asked of him in their final minutes of life in the Garden of Eden. God inquired of Eve, what is this that thou hast done? Genesis 3.13. Personal contemplation is one of man's greatest needs. Of himself the psalmist declared, I will commune with my own heart and my spirit made diligent search. Psalm 77 says, Proficiency abounds in probing the heart of one's neighbor. The majority of people know more about their neighbor's heart and life than their own. They spend more time there. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, 2 Samuel 12, 5, who robbed the poor man of his lamb. While exhibiting a dismissive spirit, over depriving Uriah of his wife to gratify his own fleshly lust. Jonah was eager to witness the destruction of an entire city while oblivious to the perverse spirit that he possessed, destitute of human pity. The Pharisee, blind to his own self-righteous spirit, donned the black robes of judgment, exalted himself, and paraded his good works before God, peering down from his lofty perch with a censorious eye on a lowly publican. Luke 18, 9 to 14. He prayed with himself. Luke 18, 11. He, not God, was the object of his prayer. He was incapable of discerning his true state before God. He burned the bridge of mercy over which he would have to pass for the salvation of his soul. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. And judgment rejoiceth, or mercy rejoiceth against judgment, James 2.13. Eve needed to take a long lingering look at what she had done. Satan's intent in his approach to Eve was to induce her to improper thinking about God. He suggested that God's prohibition regarding the tree of knowledge of good and evil was an attempt to bar her from greater blessings than those presently possessed. Eating the forbidden fruit would enable her to equal God in wisdom and knowledge. In the course of this brief conversation... Eve changed her thinking about God. God's question was designed to repair the impairment in her mind. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, Proverbs 23, 7. Man is the product of his thinking. No man can think wrong and do right. A heart bent on evil is the source of wicked words and deeds, Matthew 12, 35. The world of Noah's day was a perpetual stream of human depravity because its inhabitants possessed hearts that were only evil continually. Genesis 6, 5. Thinking right about God is the key to bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. 
And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Genesis 4.1. Cain was the world's first baby. He was a gift from God. Eve's acknowledgement of this truth is evidence that she had returned to thinking right about God. Her heart beat with joy as she gazed at the lovely and innocent countenance of her first child. God told Eve, in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, Genesis 3:16. But Jesus said, a woman when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. John 16, 21. Eve's heart beat with double joy at the birth of Abel. Children belong to God. Psalm 127, verse 3. Figuratively speaking, the womb is God's home where he sits and weaves together the various parts of the baby's body in preparation for its birth. Psalm 139, 13 to 16. In condemnation of Judah's grievous sin of offering their children as sacrifices to idols, God said, Thou hast slain my children. Ezekiel 16, 21. God provided a pattern for Cain and Abel's entrance into his presence for worship and fellowship. Abel's offering by faith was accepted, Hebrews 11, 4. But Cain's self-will offering was rejected. Cain's sacrifice was an expression of the influence of Satan to whom he belonged and the evil nature of his heart, 1 John 3, 12. Cain hung his head in anger and dejection. God is love, 1 John 4, 8. God loved Cain and desired his repentance. The extreme brevity of this account of the first human family raises a thousand unanswered questions. One would think that no two sons have ever been reared in a more intensive home environment permeated with spiritual instruction than Cain and Abel. Surely Adam and Eve spared no effort in instruction and discipline, training their minds in righteousness, speaking to them often of their own failure in Eden and the consequences of their action, constantly addressing to the minds of these two sons, the nature of God, Satan, temptation, sin, and their own human frailty. It is stunning that Cain would mature in adulthood only to grant his allegiance to Satan and be known as one whose works were evil. 1 John 3.12 in view of the events that followed, it is clear that Cain has arrived at the close of any hope for the salvation of his soul. It is the 11th hour of his life's day, Matthew 20, verse 8. He has spurned all previous opportunities to expel Satan from the throne of his heart. 
He has dismissed divine, parental, and brotherly efforts to change the course of his life. The destiny of his soul hangs in the balance and time is running out. God knocks at the door of his heart for a final time. Love and tenderness characterize God's first three questions to Cain. Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? Genesis 4, 6. God wanted Cain to probe his own heart. To reflect upon the why of God's rejection of his offering. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? Satan has not yet won the war for the soul of Cain. The battle yet rages. Cain can still think right and do right, and God will forgive and accept him. He can yet conquer sin that crouches at the door of his life, as God warned him, eager to devour him. Jesus said to Peter, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Luke 22, 31 to 32. Satan wanted to struggle, to triumph in this struggle for the soul of Cain. But God longed for his penitence. And in mercy, he pleaded with him to choose life that thou and thy seed may be able to live. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Cain made the wrong choice and it sealed his doom. He rebuffed God's gentle entreaties to the salvation of his soul. He refused to allow humility to subdue his pride. He retained his wrath and killed his brother. God's fourth question, where is Abel thy brother was met with a lie I know not. An unsurpassed arrogance of an evil heart. Am I my brother's keeper? Genesis 4, 9. God answered his own final question. What hast thou done? By pointing to Abel's blood that crieth unto me from the ground. Genesis 4, 10. Cain soiled the earth with innocent blood. And God informed him that the earth would never let him forget what he had done. When Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, Genesis 4, 16, he never came back. He would spend the remainder of his life wandering from place to place. His life would be void of permanency, security, victories, and contentment. The dawn of each day would only serve to remind him of the ugliness of his past and the hopelessness of his future.
He was a man waiting to die as he had lived, lonely, without God, and barren of hope. The story of Cain is one of the saddest stories in the Bible. It is impossible for our finite minds to take it all in. One wonders how far back in the years of his life one would have to go in order to be able to point at the time that surely Adam and Eve knew when his heart and mind took a turn for the bad. And surely they could design, they could see in their own minds, in his countenance, in his answers to questions, in his response to discipline, something is going wrong with our son. And to travel so far, so early in the dawn of man's history as one of the sons in the first home of the first human pair who no doubt had learned their own lesson that went in the knowledge of experience to the depths of their soul and trying every waking, waking subsequent moment to keep their children from walking in the shoes they walked in the Garden of Eden when they huddled in fear and trembling among the trees of the garden robed in fig leaves. And then to see their son depart so far from God that inspiration describes him as being of that wicked one whose works were evil. Paul said that those things written before time were written for our learning. We need to learn the lessons that we're going to reflect upon as we think about questions God asked of the human family, beginning with those thought-provoking questions to Adam, Eve, and Cain. You've not obeyed the gospel. We're going to sing this song to encourage you that by faith you may repent of your sins, confess Christ, be baptized into Christ. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You need to pray for sins that you've committed in your life or you just need the prayers of the church. This is a great song. His yoke is easy. And we'll sing it to encourage you to come while we stand and sing. I found my Lord and he is mine. I want by his love, I'll serve him all my years of time and dwell with him above. His yoke is easy, his burden is light, 
I found it so, I found it so. His service is my sweetest delight. His blessings ever flow. No other Lord but Christ I know. I walk with Him alone. His dreams of love forever flow within my heart alone. His yoke is easy, His burden is life. I found it so, I found it so. His service is my sweetest delight. His blessings ever flow. Come unto me, oh, hear his plea. He calls for you today. Open the Lord and be made free. There is no other way. His yoke is I found it so, I found it so. His service is my sweetest delight. His blessings ever flow. Appreciate that very much, Mr. Frank. And, um, I think this will be a, a very beneficial series to us. Let's turn to one last song before we are dismissed. Number 418. Number 418. Let's remember our, our training classes this afternoon, starting at 5 o'clock. Let's make every effort to be here for those. Number 418. We'll sing the first verse and then be dismissed in a prayer. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeem me for his own. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him. Against that day.